This is Media Industry Conversations. I'm your host, Kyle Rather. This speaker series is part of a course in the Department of Radio, Television, and Film at the University of Texas at Austin. Students hear from industry professionals who talk about their experiences, knowledge, and thoughts on the changing media landscape. Today's guest is Luis Ribeiro. He's a managing partner and executive producer at Lobo, and he's based in New York City. Lobo is a design and animation studio with offices in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and New York. Before entering the industry, Ribeiro was an economics major in his native Brazil, but he soon realized his passion was to work in the media. He applied and eventually graduated from the radio TV film department here at UT. And since then, he's been involved in the creation and production of advertising and marketing content for some of the world's largest companies and organizations. He describes his journey through the media industry, the process of creating innovative design and animation, and some of the opportunities he's seen emerging with new technologies like virtual reality and 3D animation. He spoke on October 9th, 2017 on the UT campus, and the conversation was hosted by Elisa Perrin. All right. Uh, welcome, everyone, to our next installment of the Media Industry Conversation Speaker Series. I'm thrilled to welcome Luis Ribeiro with us today. Uh, and we have so much to talk about. I'm excited. Uh, before we dig in, though, I want to just give a few thanks to various people. First off, I want to thank my colleague, Cindy McCreary, for her assistance in organizing this series, as well as our support staff of fabulous grad students, Brett Siegel, Kyle Rather, Annie Major, and Britta Hansen. I also want to thank the RTF faculty and staff for their support, in particular, uh, Paul Steckler and Tom Schatz for their assistance supporting this series, as well as Alana Wakeman for assistance in publicizing it, uh, Richard Lewis for assistance as well, and of course, the Moody College of Communication, in particular, Dean Bernhardt, and Assistant Dean Mike Wilson. And of course, be sure, as always, to check our Twitter feed at RTFMIC. Okay, so a little bit of background about what we'll be talking about today, and then we're going to start off by all of you getting a chance to see some samples of your work. So uh, I'm always happy when we have an RTF grad uh, visiting us. So you graduated 98. So uh, and coming here, our first out-of-town visitor for the semester flew in from New York City. So uh, welcome to Austin. And uh, Mr. Ribeiro is going to be talking to us about a lot of different topics today, including his career trajectory, uh, up through his current moment as EP and uh, head of, what is your exact title again? Managing partner and executive producer, is That's that right. correct? That's a big title. It sounds very nice. <laughs> At Lobo? Yes. Um, in New York City, but there's many offices, and I'm sure we'll talk about that. Some Sopo's the main office. Okay. And I opened the New York office last year. Oh, great. Okay. Terrific. And uh, we'll also be talking about some of his work roles and responsibilities, uh, sense of the media industries, and especially advertising, and some recommendations. We'll end with Q&A session for all of you to ask questions as well. So with that, welcome. Thank you. So maybe we can talk a little bit about, bit about what your role was with all of this and sort of how you managed the process or were involved in this process. All right. So Lobo is an animation studio uh, in Sao Paulo. They exist for 20 years. 
I was working for a company uh, called Framestore, who did Gravity the movie. Um, really awesome company by Lobo. It's a company that I have followed for many years because they do amazing work and it's an animation world that I never really understood until <laughs> I started working for them because it's really difficult. Um, visual effects is difficult too, but animation is a very crafty process, very time consuming, very beautiful when it's done. And so they wanted to open the New York office, so they asked me to be a partner in New York. So my role in this project as a managing partner, as an executive producer, is basically to go after opportunities uh, with advertising agencies mostly. Um, in the case of the hospital, was not that. I actually had nothing to do with that because it was done in Brazil. But our role as EPs and, and, and um, partners is basically to understand the process, uh, the project, and then we, you know, find the perfect team for it. We have people who are good in 2D, who people who are good in miniature making. I mean, the process for that autism to build that Thank set. Um, we have this uh, girl, Fabi, who is, I mean, she can make the most <laughs> minuscule things. And uh, so it is our role, basically find the right team, relationship with the client, budget. It's, it's not really the most creative process. Some people say it is creative because you have to find the right, right. people. Uh, but yeah, I'm not the artist working behind that or, or doing the directing. Uh, but I love my job more than theirs. <laughs> <laughs> so how many people are based in your New York office? We have eight. Okay, and then you'll hire teams for the length of the shoot and the post-production? Yeah, uh, Sao Paulo is 180. People, so oh, wow. it's a much bigger operation there. We have a studio, we have a green screen, we have um, every, all the equipment is there. Since we just started last April in New York, we're very small, it's very expensive to have an office in Soho, and, but we have to because you right. advertise, you have to show <laughs> off, uh, basically. But uh, we, it, it's a, we have an art director, a director, Guy, who uh, directed both Interface and autism is based in New York, and we bring freelancers in, freelancers as we need for whatever the need is. And are they working out of New York? Or are you hiring people that are working from all over? <coughs> we, uh, uh, Jornada, one of our art directors, he's been working for us remotely from San Francisco for four years. Wow. Uh, but his wife got a job at BuzzFeed New York, so he moved to New York and it was perfect. That's why we decided to actually open the office. I was working on my underwear out of my apartment for the first six months. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Except sometimes I forgot and we got a nice Skype call and had to get up to get something. It's like, <laughs> what are you doing? Underwear. I'm like, oh, you lucky I have that. <laughs> uh, Great. So um, how maybe you could walk us through one of these in terms of what you're doing. Like you're doing the budgeting, you're doing the Everything. assembling of the team. Everything. Like how does this pro like what's the length of say <clears throat> you want to pick one of the ads to, to talk us through? Sure. Um, let's pick um, the interface okay. one. Uh, that we had to do it all in New York. The client was uh, an agency called 22 Square Atlanta. They wanted to come to New York to look at the work, even though. Uh, it was more an excuse to go to New York because 90% of our work is uh, approved is done remotely. Unlike visual effects where the client actually goes and is behind the artist, like, can you do this, can you do that? With animation, you can't. Thank God for that. Um, because otherwise it just delays everything. Um, but 
so the interface project was all New York, based in New York. We had all the, the artists from modelers, from uh, lighters, and everything. Uh, we actually used Sao Paulo as well. We always have to use Sao Paulo because the budget really goes a lot further there, um, obviously, for exchange rates mm -hmm. and also because the labor is cheaper. And we have a lot of people, so we mm -hmm. need to <laughs> bring a lot of work to those guys. Um, is that did I answer the question? Yeah, and I'm just sort of curious, like, so do you consult with the ad agency regularly or the client oh, daily. or how, daily? And daily. so how long how long is the whole process from sort of conception, contract autism to? Was, uh, autism was 10 weeks, because that's all we had. Uh, interface was two months, okay. um, which is eight weeks. Uh, much easier because it was 2D animation, 3D approach. Autism obviously had to build a set, but then we had to animate the characters in CG. Um, now it's a daily conversation, and, I'm, and we're working concurrently 11 projects, right? That was what I was going to ask you. How many different things are you doing at a time? Yeah. And so, I, I don't sleep much. <laughs> then it means even more that you can't, could come out here. <laughs> I, I had three conference calls right before I had to come, and actually I was afraid I was going to be late because the client kept talking, talking, talking. Uh, but um, <clears throat> it... The reason I said I love that as opposed to being a, a director is just because I'm horrible with criticism. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the scrutiny of my work by a client would really make me very depressed. In my uh, line of business, I'm, it's more absolute. You either do it right or you do it wrong. Uh, so that I think I have a little bit of a, a love for that because I, I know how to do that well. But uh, these calls were one project. I cannot obviously mention any of them, but um, one's going to be a miniature. Uh, set that had to be built because that's what the creatives uh, at the agency wanted to do. And I have to sort of travel the country with my little showreel and then, you know, go to advertising agencies. And this one in Boulder, Colorado, they, I was there in March uh, and they finally have a project for us. And it's very flattering because like we've been dying to work with you guys and finally have something that fits your profile. Mm -hmm. Um, and that would not have happened if I had not gone there and I had not talked to them and showed the work. So it's, it's an interesting process, uh, but it's sales, basically. Yeah. So are you traveling a fair amount or are you visiting with agencies in New York a lot? Or? New York a lot. You have to pay lunches. You have to do screenings or do wine and cheese in the afternoon. <laughs> Lots of food. Lots of food. There's a lot of money that we spent on that. Um, <clears throat> but it is also very flattering that they're making the time. And uh, usually, in my role, I have to create relationships with the head of productions at the agencies or the creative directors. But the creative directors, they don't get involved in this beginning of the process. They will look at the reels that the head of production uh, gave them. But they cannot even start to think about who is going to do the work, because they have to be pleasing the client, the brand. So. Uh, yeah, I have to, to sort of have a relationship with the head of production because he's the one who's going to pick three companies. Very rarely they ask for four companies or five companies, but they usually get three. And then if they like the real, then you go into a pitch uh, phase. And then, you know, all that for free <laughs> until you get the job. And when I was working in post-production only, we never had to pitch anything. You just compete with the other uh, vendors and companies in the field, when you are in a production creative house like Lobo, it is literally you're pitching the idea 
to the agency with a mood board, style frames. I mean, the, the treatments are elaborate, 50 pages. Basically, you give them the project, and then they just have to decide which company they vibe better with. Right, like right. So do you work with a just a wide range of agencies or you tend to go to the same ones fairly consistent? <clears throat> we tend to, I mean, we like to work a lot with the one particular agency because it just flows. We do a lot of work with BBDO New York, which okay. is the biggest one. Um, we're lucky that there's some Brazilian uh, creative directors and art directors and copywriters that know our work from Brazil. Uh, so they know that for that particular spot, uh, Lobo will be a, a very great contender together with the American ones or European ones. It, it's a, there's not a lot of geography uh, relevance mm -hmm. in our business because, you know, we're doing, a, we have four projects with LA right now. We don't have an office in LA. And I'm only, the 11 projects are all international projects. That is not even counting what Brazil does for wow. the Brazilian market. We're doing three jobs for London. We do McDonald's Happy Meals for uh, Europe and South America. Uh, funny trivia on that. The character for McDonald's Happy Meals did not uh, test well in America. The kids are scared. Of really? <laughs> so there is no character for Happy Meals in uh, McDonald's US. Interesting. So are you working with clients directly, or is ad agency typically? And that agency would never let us uh, work directly with the company. Okay, just making <laughs> sure so people have sort of a sense of how this yeah. works, since this is sort of I new mean, terrain. We, we obviously meet them, they go to the shoot, and they participate in the entire process, but it's always filtered to their agency. Yeah. Yeah. Agencies are the ones controlling everything. Gotcha. So where are these ads appearing? I mean, obviously, if you're working with so many different locales, multiple continents, are they appearing on linear stations? Are they appearing online? Like, where would we see these sorts of ads? Well, Interface was a B2B project. So that's just among themselves. We did something for Port Authority, New York, New Jersey, also just something between them. But I think maybe 80%, well, I don't know anymore, because you know it's divided between broadcast and and then the terminology changes depending on people say digital or online or so digital online is they are the equivalent of broadcast in terms of quantity right so those take most of our uh, time and work the broadcast ones tend to have better budgets and this is not really fair because <laughs> you know first recession um, in 2008 when everybody had no money, so we had to bring our rates down in order for us to survive in the market. And then came, not then, but before and during the recession, there was a lot of, oh, let's not do this for TV, let's do this for, you know, for the, not even for social, but for uh, digital distribution. And for some reason, it was the same script, he had an explosion, he had a car crash, he had a helicopter shot, but they only had 80,000. But if it was a broadcast, it would be a million. Right, right. Like, you cannot write for digital because you have no budget and still put all those things in there. So it's changing. Digital is getting a little bit more respect, uh, especially now because the digital includes social. So we do, I cannot mention the brands because the, all the secrecy, uh, but we do a lot of work that is just for Facebook. And the interesting thing about that is it has to work without sound because apparently 90% right. of us don't click on the, on the video. So now we have to do things that it would work without audio. 
Wow. <laughs> if it's for Facebook or Instagram, and it's true, right? Yeah. Now that I think about it, I, I rarely, if, if the visual grabs me, that I'll click to hear it. But sometimes it's just that it's, it's enough, especially with animation. Yeah. So, I mean, it, your um, ads are also striking. I mean, are there a lot of houses that are doing the kind of work that, oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> We're just one of them. I mean, I'm biased, of course, to think that we're one of the best. I think the thing that separates Lobo from our uh, counterparts in the business that maybe the, the Brazilian influence in this country helps a little bit that we have an unexpectedness to our work, something unseen that makes, oh, you know, this is cool, I haven't seen, maybe that. Um, I love our team, our creative team. Uh, the two founders are animators, are directors of animation. Nando and Mateus Yi, who is one of the founders of the New York office, together with me, is a photographer, is an artist. Um, so I, I think all that helps us be a little bit, have a little bit of an edge. Mm -hmm. um, some of our competitors, are, you know, they have a style in, in America. It's interesting. Uh, everybody's kind of um, bottled up in a, oh, this company is really great at stop motion. This mm -hmm. company is really great at 2D animation. Uh, and the style of this, you know, the colors of this, I mean, we don't have any of that. Uh, uh, that's why I actually wanted yeah. to show this diversity of work, because work is work. That idea is an idea. You can interpret it in many ways. We're not good at just one thing. Mm. I think we're good at a bunch of things. Yeah, it's it's, it's striking how many different styles. And I mean, the Leica one, um, <clears throat> it's a minute long, and half of it was actually shot uh, with, um, with the Leica camera, but it was not, it looks all done in computer. Mm -hmm. It was actually, half of it was shot uh, practically, which is really cool. Yeah. So, I mean, the craft uh, behind this work is just phenomenal. And that's why I was so drawn to work and join the company because I, I love it. Yeah, it, you, I can feel your enthusiasm, which makes me excited <laughs> no more. Um, how long did these ads go in rotation? Like, how, how long would they be um, circulating? Media buy depends on the client, depends on how much budget they have or the success. I mean, there's a lot of testing that goes on. Not with autism, obviously, it was a PSA. Um, not with interface, not with Leica, but most, I mean, I show you guys like the good work, but we do a lot of regular work. <laughs> to sell toothpaste, to sell um, detergent. Um, so those tend to have yeah. a long life. Right, right. These, not so much. But autism actually got a lot of good press, so they extended the campaign. Well, I was in LA in March, and they had you know the outdoors uh, with the Autism Speaks still, because that's last year's. Yeah. So it's good that it still has a little bit of life. But it depends on the client, depends on the media, depends on how much budget they have. They tend to recycle, but they also, you know, actors and voiceovers, they have to pay more if they want to choose longer. We just did a project now for social, um, and they wanted to use uh, Brazilian talent and shooting in Brazil. Brazil does not have perpetuity for talent buyout. It's only two years. It's actually only 12 months that can automatically be renewed for another 12 months. So American clients get crazy about that. It's like, but I want to show you five years from now. No. Wow. Only two. And so would they play in multiple countries simultaneously? Some of them. Yeah. Yeah, some of them do. Leica probably going to, I think Leica was for the Brazilian market. Whatever sells the camera most. Right. <laughs> so I think France, Belgium, um, England, America, and Brazil were the only markets that they show the commercial. Gotcha. 
Wow, I, I feel uh, overwhelmed by the number of platforms, the number of styles, the number so of now different that options. The first question, yeah, like, so now let's do? back like, up. Uh, no, but it, I think in this particular context, it's helpful to have a little background yeah. for everyone. Uh, so let's back up 20 years. <laughs> And um, talk about sort of your time at UT. Like, how did you end up at UT? And sort of how did you then end up in your next steps in your career? Oh, God. All right. I know you have some professor, former yeah, professors know, here, too. Well, uh, I was an economics major in Brazil um, and hated it. And one of, like, towards graduation, I had, a, I had to some credit outside of college, which was to be an auditor at a TV station. And I was just looking at the production happening down the office where I was checking people's numbers. And I was like, oh my God, that's what I want to do. You know, I'm 19, I'm young enough, I can maybe uh, explore another career. Told my parents I want to go to film school. They're like, oh, good luck, you're not getting <laughs> a dime from us. Um, why don't you go to medical school? No, <laughs> I think there is a chance that I can do something. Um, so I applied to some universities here, and UT was the only one that accepted me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was just applying for undergrads, but they were like, we will be happy to have you. It was such a beautiful letter to get that it's like, oh, wow. You know? And I was transferring some credits because I had my economics degree, so I, I didn't have to start from scratch. But American history class was a tough one for me. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, history one and history two with 400 students. She had that Madonna microphone. <laughs> she all of us and Aaron Burr. I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> we all know who Aaron Burr is now. I know, I didn't. <laughs> uh, so it, it, was, it was interesting, but that I just kind of like, I'm going to do it, and I did, and um, yeah, it was... It was wonderful. It was one of the best experiences of my life, actually. Wow. Well, you know, as a foreign student coming here, broken English, like recording the history class, sitting in the front row, and then hearing again at home so I could, like, understand what the hell was going on <laughs> uh, with, the, with this country. But I, actually, I feel like I know more than uh, most Americans when they ask me, you know, who the hell Aaron Burr is. Like, oh, my God, Paul Revere, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I know I know more than Sarah Palin, that's for sure. <laughs> Point taken. Uh, or, or Paul Revere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> so what, uh, you moved to New York after that, right? Or So how did that transition happen, and why did you decide on New York? <clears throat> I had some friends in New York that was going to make it easier to uh, be somebody's roommate for a while. Uh, I knew no one in L.A., even though L.A. was the most obvious option. Um, and... <laughs> He asked me to tell the story, but I was waiting tables at this restaurant on 6th Street. It was my last day on my last table, and the vice president of the sports production house called Manhattan Transfer was uh, dining there with a salesperson, and they were being super obnoxious. Uh, <laughs> it was really busy. I couldn't give a damn. It was my last table, like, you know, waving. I'm like, you're going to have to wait. Uh, and then I told the specialist to some uh, people, and then I was like, now I can help you. Uh, I'm sorry, you're from New York, you know, and she's very stressed. I'm like, no, no, it's fine. It's just, it was very busy, South by Southwest, you know. Um, but how can I help you? 
And I took their orders and everything. And then at the end, they start making conversation like, uh, so what, you know, you go to school? It's like, yeah, I'm graduating. Today's my last day. It's my last table. Um, and was, what do you want to do? It's like, I want to be an editor. It's like, oh, you know, we work for post-production house. Here's my card. Give me a call when you get there. Wow. <laughs> nice. So, yeah. <laughs> it was good that she gave me attitude because that interaction started the conversation um, and it was my last table, otherwise I'll be very like, sorry, sorry, <laughs> give me the tip. Um, but it was great because, yeah, I got to New York on a Tuesday, on Friday I was working for this company as a runner, just so everybody understands I did not get an editor job. Uh, I thought I was going to be something <laughs> along the lines of post-production, but it was uh, to be a runner, which, you know, at first it's like, what? I have two degrees. <laughs> and now I'm going to serve coffee, uh, and I did. And was probably the best thing that could happen to me career-wise because that company was huge, and even though I hated that I was using the cappuccino machine after having a degree at Reverse of Texas, I'm a director. <laughs> uh, but it was, you know, like, Three months later, they had an opening in the shipping department, which at least I had a computer, not yeah. a coffee machine, uh, to deal with. And then three months later, there was a, an opening in the broadcast division. Uh, they, wanted, they needed an assistant uh, producer. So I was like, me, me, me. <laughs> uh, okay, you're going to have to work nights. Or whatever. I just need to stop shipping tapes to places. Um, and then... I think within a year, I was doing, I was producing all the CBS Sports, March Madness graphics for CBS, oh, and, wow. and then HBO Sports, and then they start trusting me with budgeting and all that, and that yada, yada, yada. Very cool. So what do you see as sort of other key moments in your career in terms of positions or things that you took away that sort of you learned, appreciated? It's funny, um, <clears throat> even though I'm making joke about the runner and the shaping position, I was so happy. <laughs> there was uh, an element of being in New York and 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 having already a job. I mean, right. I didn't have. I'm actually, I skipped the part that I was actually working Monday through Friday at Manhattan Transfer, Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday at a restaurant because I made so little money <laughs> that I had to compensate with waiting right, tables right. on the weekends. So for a good four or five months, I had not a day off. Uh, I was fine. I mean, I was young. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> sleep, what's sleep? Sleep. <laughs> I'll sleep when I die. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so I, I was actually thinking about that recently. It's like, wow, because now I have so much responsibility. I'm dealing with millions of other people's dollars. And I don't sleep well because I'm always stressed. It's like, oh, there was an element of that phase of my life that I really enjoyed. Uh, but I think the first one was, um, so at Manhattan Transfer, I... I started working, I stayed there for four years, and then uh, Riot was a visual effects company that now it's called Method. Uh, they merged, and Method was a bigger brand. <clears throat> and I was senior producer, and my managing director and I were interviewing executive producers for the position. I think we interviewed like about eight people. She didn't like anybody. Um, and then she was like, what about you? I'm like, what about me? It's like, why don't you become my EP? I'm like, I never done it. Look at all these people we interviewed, they have working as an executive producer for so many years, you're doing it. And I was like, oh, okay, how much? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is the raise? It was significant. I'm like, oh, yeah, I can do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, 
So that was a good moment. Uh, and so what were you doing in that role? Well, that was uh, strictly post-production. Okay. So we just, we did all the finishing work for the commercials. Okay. Um, it's still like that today, but, <clears throat> so the agency gives a job to a production company, um, MGZ, Biscuit, several out there. So those people will direct the spot. That's it. Mm -hmm. Then it goes to uh, post-production, and then the agency will hire an editorial house. All the editing will be done there. They hire a visual effects house, depending on the spot, or just a finishing house, an audio house, a sound design studio, and a color grading or color correction. The proper term is grading because we're not correcting any color because that offends the DP. Um, so it's grading. And so it's very compartmentalized. compartmentalized. Yeah. yeah. So I was in the finishing visual effects. Gotcha. Uh, Exactly producing those spots. From there, because all the audio and everything come and we put it all together in the flame or flame is the most common one. It was called Inferno back then, same, same thing. Um, <clears throat> and then from there, with the two beep would go to the networks to be broadcast. Right, right. There was no digital back then. Right, so that's sort of my next question is like, <laughs> how have things really changed both in terms of like the flow of work and the company relationships, even technology since you've started out. It doesn't out. stop changing. <laughs> um, I mean, the VR, the AR, we're doing, uh, we're pitching a big project for uh, this kids drink uh, brand, I have to speak in terms, <laughs> in codes. Um, <laughs> and we started pitching the project a few months uh, ago and then now, the. AR, the augmented reality technology, has already changed so much that what we proposed to them three months ago, we already told them. It was like, actually, we don't tell the client, or if you already told the client, we're going to have to change the approach because there's something much easier, much faster. Uh, I think I was telling you that yeah, on the phone yeah. with augmented reality. Uh, you guys are probably familiar with some of that. You had to have a track, but now the AR kit, the Apple released, doesn't require that. So, oh, God. So now, you know, it, it, it's the technology significantly changed for us to change the entire process of doing a particular project, which is good. Yeah. It's just like, Jesus, you know, how can we keep up? <laughs> how do you up? keep up? Yeah. yeah. Is it just constantly sort and of checking not, out new? And, and the kid's not available yet. It's just for developers. So you have to you know, be a registered developer for them to release that to you so you can plan your project and hope that will be released by the time the, you know, the project is done. So it's, it's changing on a daily basis. Wow. Yeah. Which is good. Yeah. Because, you know, you guys getting out of school, well, whatever you learn now, <laughs> it will be different in six months and in a year, but you, you're young enough and you're gonna be keeping up with the technology. Uh, yeah, I mean, so how do you keep up? Is it just constantly reading? I pay people. <laughs> <laughs> to research. Uh, now we have, you know, all the, the, the uh, we have to have software developers. We have to, for the AR, we have a digital division within Lobo that does the VR and the AR stuff, and they are, they love that stuff. Mm -hmm. you know, the, the stereotypical nerds, if you will, uh, that are the most valuable people uh, in the business right now for that uh, portion of the business, which is the digital, the augmented and, and virtual realities. And I think there's another one now called Mixed 
it's reality. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> See, they know more than I do. <laughs> because it is, yeah, it is changing. Yeah, constant. Yeah. So I'm curious, what's the relationship that you have with the office in Brazil? And do you, because uh, you, and you were in Brazil for various positions over time as well? No. I oh, did, you weren't? No. I, oh. I never worked with the Brazilian market. Okay. Uh, I only worked in the American market. Um, but I did consultancy for Film Brazil. Yeah, that was, okay. Yeah. So Film Brazil, it's, it's an initiative of the Brazilian uh, exportation agency called Apex. Uh, and they have, I think, 82 initiatives that goes from Brazilian orange to leather to all kinds of things, all to promote the Brazilian goods outside of Brazil. Okay. Uh, which is a really cool thing that Brazil has that no other South American country has. I don't think even America has it. UK has the UKTI, the trade investment. Mm -hmm. So it's really cool that Brazil has that. And they give millions of uh, Brazilian currency to this initiative to promote the Brazilian goods outside. Okay. And they hired me to promote the Brazilian animation houses. Lobo was one of them. Uh, I think they had 48 companies under the Film Brazil label. And we promoted their talent in the American market. Gotcha. Yeah, so that was my relationship. And I speak Portuguese. Uh -huh. So that was a convenient thing yeah. to be dealing with them. But they asked me, because we had to do uh, government reports. I was like, guys, there is no way I can do this in Portuguese. It would have to be in English. English is so much easier. <laughs> <laughs> to, to do a legal document in Portuguese, you have to go to school oh, wow. for that. <laughs> oh, that's. Uh, but my relationship with the Brazilian office, uh, with the Lobo office, mm -hmm. uh, daily, constant, we, I mean, again, eight and 180 people. So right. they are the, the force behind most of this work. We exist in New York because we need to uh, break the fear of some clients that they're going to be working with this foreign company, even though we've been working with the American market for or the international market. We did three campaigns for Japan. We did a Lexus campaign, a Coke campaign for Tokyo, for Japan. Uh, we, we're doing this McDonald's thing for four years now for uh, Shire, it's an agency in Paris that handles the McDonald's account. So we're very international, yeah. which kind of makes our American clients feel, oh, okay, these guys, they can do this and we can trust them. And we're not a startup per se, even though the New York office is. Yeah, but if we don't have the Sao Paulo office, we couldn't do it. I see. So are you flying down there at all, or is it mainly, yeah, a lot of traveling back and forth? To yeah, hard on relationships. Yeah, yeah. sounds like it. <laughs> well, um, I'm going to open it up to the students to ask some questions. Okay. I mean, obviously, I could ask you another 50, <laughs> 60, but I, I know that they have some good ones for you. Um, but I will ask you the question I ask everyone, which is, um, what are you watching these days? Although probably you have no time to watch anything <laughs> except what you're producing. Stranger Things. <laughs> um, Ozark. Oh yeah? yeah I've been hearing, Jason I need to check Bateman. that out. Yeah. I will watch anything he does. Um, Game of Thrones, of course. That's good, it's a good yeah. start. There's one comedian on Netflix, Ryan Hamilton, uh, Happy Face. I almost pee on my pants. <laughs> God, what a funny guy <laughs> from Idaho who lives in New York. And he just pokes fun of the, if you made it in New York, you can make it anywhere. It's like, not true. <laughs> Has anyone watched him? Yeah. 
<laughs> you have one viewer. Yeah. Good, right? Um, yeah, it's so funny. That was just random. I never heard of them. It was just like, this is I really love good. The comedians are bringing to Netflix right now. It makes me so happy. I know. Me too. Me too. Um, well, we have Annie here with the uh, microphone and a hand already up in the air. <laughs> Hi, my name's Don. Um, I was going through the Lobo site and I found a little section called The Bitches. <laughs> it's a play with the word. It is. And I just want you to go into that because I... What's going on? Scratchy. Uh, I, just want you, I just want you to go into it about how, um, how that was formed. And you have a bunch of artworks, and they're really good. But you said in there, like, the client didn't really like them or something like that. So I was wondering if you can go into that. Sure. Um, so uh, a few years back... I think the idea was for us to how to use all this material that we created uh, that either the campaign got killed or the client didn't like, um, but it was such a labor of love for our artists. Um, so we didn't want that to just go to the, you know, the cutting room, if you will. And so we start collecting them. And we're going to do a book, and we did. Um, and I think somebody, you know, because there were pitches, but they got denied or killed, I think somebody came out, oh, why don't you call them the bitches? Well, in America, that might have problems, but I wasn't there. Uh, I, 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 I wouldn't have probably go with that idea, because now that I've been in America for 27 years, I know how everything can be a problem or insult or, or some sort. But, but actually, it doesn't. Uh, people really like that. They, they understand the purpose of calling the bitches. Uh, and yeah, it's just a collection of work that never saw the light of the day. So we're giving them a second chance of being viewed. And the advertising agency creatives love that stuff. It's very inspirational. Um, there's a lot of MTV2 and like old VH1 stuff there, uh, pr package promos that we did that never saw the, the light of the day. So it's cool. Uh, but that's basically what it is. Sure. Hi, I'm Will, and I was wondering, uh, in your positions, various positions and current positions, if uh, what tips and tricks you've picked up for how to reconcile the creative process with logistical concerns like a budget and especially a timeline and a schedule. Oh. Um, it's a constant struggle. Um, what has happened in the, I mean, when I started at Manhattan Transfer, we charged $1,200 an hour for a flame. If we can get $700 an hour nowadays, we're lucky. So the way projects used to be and budgets used to be, they would say, hey, here's our creative, price it. And now they say, here's our creative, we have 100000 like, Oh, so we, part of our challenge is how can we still do something cool and interesting? Because Lobo and every company I work for, we just don't want to do any work. I mean, it's our body of work, we're going to, we need to do work in order to get more work. So we also have to be picky about what we're going to take on. Um, <clears throat> and sometimes, you know, we just did a beautiful campaign for the Patriotic Brain Tumor Foundation. It was free. It was three months of work. Uh, but it was how to teach kids with cancer. Um, not teach, but uh, it, it, it actually they invited 20 animation houses to do with one of them. And was to our task was blood transfusions and it was such a cute piece because you can see that the kids will love 
that piece as a cartoon piece, but they're also understanding what they're going to go through. It's actually giving me goosebumps, to think, because it's, it's very emotional, that process. But anyway, go back to your question, um, but which actually is relevant to your question. They have no money, so how can we do this huge project? It's three minutes long and for no money. So we run a 2D direction, which is the cheapest animation approach. But in projects with real budgets, uh, usually, you know, they give us a number. Now, I think 95% of the projects, they give us a number to work with. And then we ha our challenge is how to make something cool and interesting for us, for them, within that timeline and budget. They usually buy media, so uh, this conference call was right before I came here. Uh, it's a miniature set, it's a stop motion. But they said, don't worry, we, uh, March 15 is our uh, media buy. Oh, thank God, they give us enough time. I mean, they haven't given us, give us a project yet, but we'll have time to treat. We have to do a treatment and then pitch that treatment, and then if we win, we jump right into production. It's a non-stop, non-stop. Um, but it's, it's fun. I, I really like it. Hi, my name is Katerina. Uh, kind of have a voice, but I'm gonna ask a question best I can. <laughs> um, so I think it's no surprise when you grow up like Latina and Latino, like you definitely have like a different cultural upbringing, and with that comes like a different association with like brands and how you look at content. Uh, like for example, you mentioned you work with detergent brands. As like a first generation American, when I think of detergent, I think of like Suavitel. I don't think <laughs> of Downy. Um, just like a small like thing like that. So. I guess my question is two-pronged. Firstly, like when you're working in the Latino market, like you talked about McDonald's and Happy Meals, um, what kind of trends or repeated things do you see coming up there? And then also, um, on a second note, when you're working with these clients, do they ask you advice or questions on how to create content for like Latino Americans and if they view things in a different way and what kind of things do you recommend to them or trends you see coming up since Latinos are going to be like a huge, the Hispanic market's just going to grow in the States. It is and it isn't. Um, so I feel like a hundred years old now that all, all these jobs that I had, but uh, one of them was I started the, I call it a Latin division only because there was a time uh, in 2006 that there was, you know, maybe, I'm not gonna get into politics, but there was like this Hispanic wasn't being viewed as a positive, and then within advertising just because it, it meant low budget. Because it is a smaller market, even though it's a big market, it obviously doesn't compare to the general market, which is everything else. Uh, <clears throat> but but it's basically the Hispanic market. Uh, actually, now they call it multicultural because, again, same thing, they don't want to use the words Hispanic. But uh, they have separate agencies. So um, within uh, the world of advertising, most agencies are just advertising agencies. And there are some Latino, Hispanic agencies, multicultural agencies. So they have ideas um, that are specifically for that market. Now, why is it decreasing? It's not that the, the population is decreasing, the population is increasing, but they have a, an advertising age or ad week or, or ad age, one of those, should they, they come up with a Hispanic fact pack every year? And they see that, the, you know, 10 years ago, uh, only the 
the grandmother, the grandmother, the mother, and the kid were all speaking Spanish at home. <clears throat> now only the grandmother speaking Spanish at home. The the kids are coming home and they're like speaking English with their friends, speaking English. so they're consuming their media in English, even though they have you know the Hispanic background, the Latin background. They so the campaigns still have to be sort of made to them, but the, the usage of the Spanish language is not as relevant as it used to be 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, because generationally speaking, I think the kids are now consuming in English. So your question was like, how would I sort of have any take on that? None, <laughs> except that I work a lot with the Hispanic agencies, and not because I'm from Brazil, uh, it's just because we tend to work with every client, so we just tend to work with them as well. And everybody works with them. Uh, but there is a little bit of that, you know, like uh, the general market has more money, so people tend to not address the Hispanic market. I always enjoyed a lot. There's a lot of Argentinians, uh, creative directors. So there is, for me as a South American, that there's an easiness to dealing with them that maybe someone who doesn't have that background wouldn't have the jokes, the cultural things that are, you know, make it easier for us to do. But that's more on a social level of the business, not on so much, it's not so relevant relevant in the business itself, uh, but on the social aspect it is. Did I answer that? I'm Mary Beltran, one of the faculty in RTF, and I do research on uh, Latinos and diversity in, in U.S. television and film, not, not on advertising, but some of what I've read about uh, Latinos and, and the world of advertising is that there aren't a lot of Mexican-Americans within that world. And then it's, there have been a lot of Cuban-Americans that have opened some of those uh, Latino advertising firms. Is that your experience? Are you seeing a lot of Mexican-American identity yeah, uh, Mexic uh, in out this, there? I'm speaking on you know, statistics that I read. Uh, on, on this magazine, that 63% of the Hispanic population in America are Mexican descent. So they obviously cover most of it, and then South, uh, Central America, and then South America, in terms of numbers. Um, I'm sorry, I forgot the question. Talking about executives, are oh. you seeing many Mexican-American executives within that world of advertising? And I, and I wonder, and the reason why I brought it up is because um, I wonder if advertising in English could still, could still reach out to Mexican-Americans more than it does, um, oh, but, I, in, but in English. Yes, <laughs> I, I, I think absolutely it should. Uh, and, but I don't know if I'm gonna uh, answer that, but uh, what I see in executive roles, I see a lot of Colombians, I see a lot of Argentinians. They, at one point, there was a joke about an Argentinian mafia because all the creative directors and executive producers they were all from Argentina at one point. It's like, who is left in Argentina? They're all here. Um, so I, yeah, in terms of specific Mexican, I, I no, I don't remember interacting with a lot of executives from or, or with Mexican background, but uh, Argentinians I saw a lot. Yeah, I and, I and I love your work. I don't in any way seem, want to seem critical. I, I uh, really enjoyed the work that you showed. Oh, um, But I do know that, as you know, at UT, there are a lot of Mexican-American students. And what, w I mean, if, if they wanted to get into the world of advertising, I mean, is there, do you think it's useful for 
young Latino professionals, Latino American professionals to to use that in some way as they Oh my go God, we have to use our culture in every is it single day, yeah. I mean, is it opening doors or is it something that you have to negotiate in any way? We're not talking about like discrimination, right? We're talking about creativity. Uh, I think the people that draw their inspiration, their creativity from their background are the ones that succeed the most. If you try to hide it in any way, Oh, it's so sad, and then I don't think that has any value or result. Uh, Mexican heritage and culture and, and history is just so gorgeous and beautiful and relevant. Um, it's just because of the political climate that we are in. You know, there's this kind of like you know the rapists and whatever that guy said. Um, that doesn't help. And you know, when you talk about culture. But I think maybe it's a good thing that he's such that he's so bad in that respect because then he brings you know a, a resurgence of pride uh, in your own culture that will benefit you professionally. I hope. Hi, Hi. Uh, my name is Gabby. Um, so I'm really interested in virtual reality, AR, MR, XR, whatever is coming <laughs> out now. Exactly. XR is like actually a thing. I was reading about it the other day, and it's wild. Um, so I guess my question for you really is how is that kind of new technology, especially as it's becoming more and more advanced, um, changing the storytelling aspect of advertising? Because virtual reality is known to be so personal as seen in the piece that you did for the hospitals. I guess, is that changing other types of advertising like for more uh, kind of average things like toothpaste and deodorant and I don't know where it could go? Um, I love new technology. I always been, um, you know, I'm gonna order my Apple X as soon as it's possible. Uh, what happens, I think, with VR, and I heard that from a South by Southwest talk two years ago, where the guy said it's not really an advertising tool or shouldn't be. He, in, instead of talking to marketers or people that wanna sell a product, he thinks that people should be talking to neuroscientists that understands how the brain works. And he mentioned some project that um, a hospital, I think, in St. Louis wanted to do for burn victims, where um, there was a virtual reality um, set where the victim, the burned person, was immersed in ice, and that somehow, even though it wasn't true, it was just virtual reality, the brain was sending signals to the body to heal faster because it was too cold. And that is fascinating to me that that can be used in the medical field much more than just you know selling shampoo. But um, I always start <laughs> answering the question that I, I lost. What, what was the question? Oh God, yes. Like advertising infiltrates everything. <laughs> Um, it's, it's, it, no, they will sell you anything. But uh, when I saw working at, at Framestore, that's the company that actually really had a, a lot of amazing uh, VR projects. And one of them was the Game of Thrones, one that you go up the tower and then walk to the edge. The first time I did, I had to take the headset, my legs were shaky, and I was like, wow, the impact, the physical impact uh, that that technology does, you don't get it from a commercial, and you can cry from an emotional commercial. So the potential for VR, AR to sell products, it's huge. It's just that 
agencies is because it's new technology, they don't know how to ideate for yet. They're getting there, everybody's getting there, uh, but you know, they sent a script when I was a frame store. Oh, and the person jumps off the plane, it's like, you know, that some things don't work in AR or VR. Uh, and if it makes you nauseous or if it makes you sick, that's bad VR. And that's when you, you know, have, on the Game of Thrones one, when they started that project, you, you've, you went up the elevator um, and then you go into this open space. Because it was open space, all snow, of course, you, you got nauseous. So we built a wall of ice to take you to the edge, which was all the experience did. The minute the wall was there and the brain was, oh, now I know where I'm going, it didn't feel sick. So all these trials and errors that we are going through right now as we do these things are, I mean, this VR vaccine, they wanted to do for seven hospitals. Now they want 7,000 of them because the kids are, they want to get a vaccine. <laughs> Wow. Uh, so the, the impact of that technology, I think, is going to be really cool. In not only an advertiser, I hope not only an advertiser, but it does. I mean, this is not advertising, I guess, was it? Yeah, I guess so. They advertise the hospital. Yeah. 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 But I, I hope it does good and not bad. <laughs> so do something good when you start creating for that. Save the world. Hey, my name's Trevor. Um, I was just kind of curious, uh, where do you see Lobo heading in the future? Because it seems like you guys are really finding a lot of success and doing a bunch of different, working for a bunch of different ad agencies and everything. Do you see all expanding even more, um, working with, I don't know, different countries, different markets, um, maybe opening up new branches? We have representation. If you go to the website, you see we have garlic in Spain. We have uh, our, my head of production is French, so he deals with the French market. We have uh, Michael Stenish, who does UK and uh, Japan because he speaks fluent Japanese, and that's why we get the Lexus and the Cokes and some of the good work from from that country. So, in terms of expanding physically, it doesn't really there's not a really necessity. We need to have like maybe satellite offices in different places. But it's a really good question, Trevor, yes. um, because, and I think I was telling Lisa, uh, our business changing a lot. Um, when I started in 98, uh, it was so compartmentalized. But now the agencies have production divisions within the agency competing with Lobo. Um, so Lobo, we're lucky because we are animation, so it's more, much more of a craft, as opposed to just visual effects, that anybody can just buy a machine, hire freelancers, and do that work within the agency. So when people ask me that question, I mean, we're currently doing really well on, on the current format, but, and to Alisa's point earlier, also, we might become a, a mini agency, you know, down the line, if we have some brands that require that kind of work to be done on a monthly, weekly, daily, yearly basis. And then we, you know, if we have like four clients, gold, I'll retire in a few years. <laughs> uh, but, you know, also if you become an agency, you have to get a strategist, you have to get an account manager, you have to get a media buyer. I mean, it just becomes such more complex. And we kind of love what we do, you know. I'm not an artist per se. I work with a group of them. But there is something that coming from film school and really admiring the process of filmmaking 
being an animation piece or a feature film, there's still a lot of pride and, 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 and love on our part for that craft of filmmaking, advertising making, VR making. Uh, and I want, to I want to continue doing that for as long as I can. I don't want to change the business to Lobo to become something else unless we need to because we need to survive. But uh, for now, it's pretty good. And also, we have this great advantage of being so global, uh, having the clients in different countries sort of keep us, you know, whenever a country, when, when America was doing really badly in 2008, 2009, 2010, we were working a lot with the Brazilian market because Brazil was booming. Brazil was booming. The economy, we had zero recession because Brazilians didn't have, Brazilians didn't have credit, so we never lost anything <laughs> because they didn't have it to begin with. You buy a house there, you pay cash. You buy a car, you pay cash. Because if you finance, you'll, you'll pay a million times more than what the price would be cash. So it was interesting how that happens. Like, wow, how can Brazil be doing so much better in the advertising world, economically speaking, than this country? So we focus on that. And then now Brazil is horrible again. Oh, let's open a New York office. <laughs> so we have to adapt and adjust according to the market. Maybe I should have gone to business school instead. <laughs> but we're glad you went to RTF. And I actually really appreciate having a different perspective of a different career trajectory than what you might imagine an RTF graduate would yeah. have, yeah. which is great. And I really thank you for sharing your insights. This was terrific. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Media Industry Conversations. For more information about upcoming speakers or to hear past guests, visit rtf.utexas.edu slash mic or follow us on Twitter at rtfmic. If you have a moment, rate and review the podcast. Let us know if you love the show. The series was made possible by the work of Dr. Elisa Perrin and Cindy McCreary with the assistance of Brett Siegel, Britta Hansen, and Annie Major. And the program was produced and edited by me, Kyle Rather. This has been a production of the Department of Radio, TV, and Film in the Moody College of Communication at the University of Texas at Austin. We hope you join us next time for another media industry conversation. There is a land, a western land, mighty wonderful. Too.